Our God calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Amen. to you for being our God, for calling us to be your people. We gather together to praise and to sing and to adore you today and to proclaim that you are God and there is no other. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would be pleased to pour out your spirit upon us today. Inhabit the praises of your people. Fill us with your spirit that we might understand your word and behold beautiful and wonderful things from your law. Lord, we pray that you would Cause us to have a sense of your presence with us today. And now as we pray, Lord, the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, we say out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together out loud the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. Because this is a profession of our faith, I'm going to ask you, dear Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead.
He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, hear the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. If you would, please take your hymnal and turn to number 715 as we sing together, Come, ye thankful people, come.
and the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. Good to see you all. I wanted to talk with you this morning about a question and share a verse with you. Can anybody tell me what it means that God is holy? Danny. He is perfect. James. He's reverent. Yes. What else does it mean that God is holy? Well, Abigail. He doesn't sin. So that's one of the things that you see in the Bible, that, that God is morally perfect and upright. But even beyond that, even beyond sinless perfection, God is always good, He's always just, and He's always right in the things that He does. But the Bible says that God is holy. It means that in His presence we see that we are not like Him at all. Do you remember what Moses saw when he encountered God? As he was walking, what was it that he saw? You remember a, a bush? What was it? It was. It was on fire. And did it burn to the ground, James? No. No, it didn't. And do you remember what Moses did when he saw that bush on fire? Didn't he go over to it? Yes. I've got to see this—a bush that can burn that doesn't go to the ground and turn to ashes. And it says that he hid his face because he knew that he was in the presence of God when God spoke to him through that burning bush. Do you remember Peter going out and fishing all night? And after a whole night of fishing and getting nothing, have any of you ever done that? You've gone fishing and got nothing. Only Danny. <laughs> Maybe you should take some of these children with you when you go fishing. After they've been fishing all night, the men are tired. And Jesus goes to Peter, and he says, let's go back out and put the nets out. And Peter says, okay, because you say so, we'll go out again. And he puts his nets down. And does anybody remember, did he catch anything? Okay. Yes, he caught, he caught a, a lot of stuff. He did, he caught a lot of stuff. So much so that the boat was being weighed down and water was coming in. They couldn't get to the shore fast enough. And do you remember what Peter said? In Jesus' presence, he said, please go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. <clears throat> he was totally aware that he was in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And just like Moses, who saw that bush on fire, he said, you are holy and I am not. I am sinful. To be holy means that God is separate from us. Yes, you're exactly right, children. He is perfectly sinless. And he always does what is right but these stories in the Bible are reminders to us that we are not God, actually, and that He is. But there's also a command in the Bible, and I'm, that's the verse I wanted to read you. Psalm 96, verse 9 says, and this is about today, it's about how you live, too. It says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. It says that you are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That just like God is different from us, and separate from us, and totally not sinful like we are. We, as God's people, are to be holy, just as He is. We're not to be like the world. We're not to think like the world, and act like the world, or treat 
one another like the world does. So I want to pray for you that you would think about that today, but that also you would walk as a witness before a watching world and be holy as God is holy. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for giving us your word that we might know you, that we might see how different you are from us and how much we need a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for our covenant children, for these who are here this morning, and for each family represented. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage their hearts, that you would lift them up to know that they belong to you. I pray that they would cling to your promises and believe that they are true. And Lord, I pray that this would be cause for adoration and thanksgiving to you. And I pray that you would use them as witnesses in their own generation, that people might hear of the good news of the gospel because of the way that they walk before you in obedience. Lord, I thank you for each one, and I pray that you would encourage their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, if you would please turn to page 788 in your hymnal. We're going to read together Psalm 17. Page 788. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. This is Psalm 17. Hear, O Lord, my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. May my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. They have tracked me down. They now surround me with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. Rise up, O Lord, confront them, bring them down, rescue me from the wicked by your sword. You still the hunger of those you cherish. Their sons have plenty, and they store up wealth for their children. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing hymn number 363. We gather together.
may be seated. This month for our pastoral prayer time, we are praying for Brennan and Becca McCafferty, two of our missionaries uh, who the Lord has called to serve around the world, and wanted to pray for them specifically this morning according to their prayer requests that they have sent to our missions committee, uh, that we would pray for them, that the Lord would bless an upcoming conference for youth. Uh, They have quite an attendance already uh, according to registration, so we want to pray for that, that the Lord would use it. We also want to pray for good health for their family and also for speaking engagements that Brennan continues to have the opportunity to speak and to preach. And want to pray for them too, that the Lord would encourage them in this time of year. And wanted to mention one of the things that they said in their most recent newsletter was that they would love to receive Christmas cards. So if you would um, so be moved in your heart to send a Christmas card to Brennan and Becca, Please see someone on the missions committee or myself would be happy to give you the information to send them a Christmas card that they might feel the closeness of fellowship with us this season. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the wonderful words that we just sang. We do gather together in your presence as your people and we delight to sing praises to you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of music and the gift of songs and for the blessings that you have bestowed upon this church family. And the gift of music, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we also praise you that we may pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the wonderful day that we had yesterday with Steve Jessen, and we pray for your hand of blessing to be upon him and his family. Lord, we pray for Brennan and Becca McCafferty that you would bless them where they are. That, Lord, as they prepare for this upcoming youth conference, that you would be mightily involved in it, that as young people gather, that they would hear about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work of salvation for his people. Lord, I pray that you would bless them with conversions, that there would be people who do not know you, who would come to know you, that their lives and their eternity would forever be changed. Lord, I do pray for Brennan as he has opportunities to speak, as they work to master the language. Lord, I pray that you would bless him that he would be bold in preaching your word, that he would speak from the scriptures, the words that you have given him. And Lord, I do pray for their their hearts, for Brennan and Becca, as they do the day-to-day things that many of us do, raising children and taking care of their home and just dealing with sickness and illness and things that just come up, interruptions in life. Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts, that you would bless their marriage. I pray for their own personal time in your word, that their relationship with you would grow, that they would know the closeness of their Savior even so many miles away from us now. And Lord, I pray for them as they do miss home, as they miss being able to share Christmas traditions with their families. I pray that you would encourage their hearts as we are touched in ours to send them Christmas cards. May this be one way that we think about connecting with them. And Lord, I pray for your people here, for us, your church, Lebanon Presbyterian Church that you would be working in the lives and the hearts of your people here, that our spiritual condition before you would be what is on our minds and in front of us, that we would think about what it means to walk before you in the beauty of holiness, that we would know that what we confess with our mouth is true, and may you make our lives show forth your praise in the way that we love and serve one another. Lord, I pray for those in our midst, in our church membership, and our friends and community around us who are hurting, uh, really hurting, Lord, because of sickness and illness. And I know there are many who are suffering under 
a weight of not knowing, of wondering. And the questions they had last Sunday, they still remain this day. I pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people to know that you promise your presence with them and your grace to carry and sustain them. Lord, I pray that you would also put it in the hearts of us, others who may not be going through a deep valley right now, to do all that we can by your appointing that we might encourage and build up and encourage to faith those in our midst who are struggling. Give us a heart for one another, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Amos chapter 4. Our scripture reading this morning is verses 1 through 5. Amos chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. The sermon is entitled this morning, Exile Promised. This is the word of the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. 
The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. Behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the freewill offerings, for this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. As I mentioned, the sermon today is entitled, Exile Promised. And just a reminder, as we think about this series on the book of Amos, Amos was a sheep herder and tree farmer from the land of Judah. And God called him to be a prophet, to go and to speak the word of God to the people of Israel, to say that judgment is coming. God called him to speak. And Amos repeats throughout what we have already read in the book of Amos, but all throughout the book, it is riddled with this phrase, thus says the Lord. And he has a chilling and a jarring message of devastating punishment for sins. God is coming and he will judge his people for their sins, for their lack of covenant faithfulness to him. And as you might imagine, for a people who are very prosperous, for who have many riches, and who seem to be enjoying the bounty of blessings, his message is not well received. And you may be questioning even in your own mind, as we have read through the book of Amos, why is God so angry with his people? It seems over the top, God, to call this sin. And actually it seems unfair that you would use this standard against your people. And maybe even they in their day were saying, as Amos spoke these words of judgment because of sin, maybe they were looking over their shoulder like, who, us? That's for us? That message of devastation? But I think these are the wrong questions to ask. Maybe a question that would be helpful to ask as we consider our own sinfulness before God is this. How is God glorified in letting me live another day with the thoughts and the actions and the words that come out of my mouth? If man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, why is He pleased to let me live? Why do I get another opportunity for grace? Another opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel? To be called to repent. Why does he favor me this way? This is a necessary message today out of the book of Amos. Primarily because it's God's word and we should preach all of God's word. But also because you and I as sinful people have the same twisted thinking and sinful patterns in our own lives that we read about in the book of Amos. We wouldn't choose it. We would not choose to see the awfulness of our sin and the ways that God displays His grace. But the book of Romans says that He does. That He endures with patience. That He might show His mercy to His chosen people. He does endure with patience. That He might show the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And here in the book of Amos, in chapter 4, he begins by saying to Israel, after he has said, I have seen your sins, and the cup of my wrath is full. I am promising you here, in Amos chapter 4, exile is coming. So I want to answer four questions briefly this morning. The first is, who is he addressing? Who is Amos addressing in this message? Number two, what is he promising? Number three, why is exile coming? Why this Why this response to the sins of his people? And lastly, is there any hope at all? So number one, who is Amos addressing? He says in verse one, uh, not a, a way to win friends and influence people. He begins by calling to them, you cows of Bashan. He's speaking specifically to women in this text and calling them cows. The cows of Bashan were those who had been groomed and fed very specifically. They were given the best of the grains or the best of the the fields to eat from. They were selected and given perfect things. So whatever in your mind or idea is the best hay to bale, this is what the cows of Bashan received. And he's speaking to these women very clearly. He says, you are like a herd of cattle on lush pastures. You indulge yourselves. You call out to your husbands in verse 1. Bring us wine. Let us drink. And he's not talking about the issues of drinking. That's, that's not the moral message here. What he's saying is that this is symptomatic of the rot among my people. The women persistently called for wine. In the language of the Hebrew, this is not just a one-time request. It's something they persist in doing. They keep on calling. They keep on asking and demanding of their husbands. And the men apparently indulge them on the backs of the poor and needy, of their own friends and neighbors, their own covenant people. They said, keep bringing it to us. Keep doing it. And the methods by which their husbands went and got what their wives asked for was by violence and robbery. They oppressed the people. They robbed the poor. They took from them. And so, men, I I think I would be remiss without saying that if you go and work and do everything that you do simply because your wife is saying, I want this or that, all I did was work to give them this or that, you will answer for that. Do you lead your wife and lead your home in living before the Lord in righteousness and holiness? Are you concerned about her spiritual condition? Or is it more important to simply keep the peace by giving her what she asked for at all costs? The luxurious refinements and the drunken revelries reveal that God's people were lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. Charles Feinberg says, That land is not far from judgment of God whose womanhood is degraded. As you read this, I wonder if you sat back and thought, are these the mothers of Israel? Are these the godly women who would teach one generation to the next about what it means to live before the Lord? Who would raise children to know God? Who would look at their fellow mothers and their grandmothers and say, thus saith the Lord, walk with me and go with me and see the beauty of our God. This is not a message against women. This was symptomatic of failure of leadership in the nation of Israel. The men were just as culpable before God. They did not lead. They did not say no. That's what our women want. 
We'll get it to them. Who is he addressing? In verse 4, he says, Come, you children of Israel. He's speaking to all of the people. They are thoroughly sinful and totally responsible before their covenant God. So that's number one. Who is he addressing? It's everyone. But specifically, the sins of the people are called out in this. Both the men and the women. What is he promising? In verse 2, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness. And we can't just jump over that phrase and move on to the next. The Lord has sworn by his holiness. There's a contrast we should see in this text. A contrast between the character of his people and the character of the living God. The filthy speech of the women. Bring us wine. We know what it takes to get it, but we still want it. Bring it to us. God vows to punish his people. And his oath is guaranteed by his holiness, by his weighty glory, the glory of the only God, high and lifted up. He's promising to his people, I have sworn an oath according to my character, according to my separateness from you. We may say, well, you know, that sounds like a God that I don't really hear about today. Or that doesn't really sound like the God that I believe in. The God of the Bible is absolutely relatable. Because he, in his grace, condescends to us. But we answer to him. Hear that, dear people of God. Yes, Jesus is a friend of sinners. But lest we forget, he is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he rules on a throne of righteousness. What is he promising to them? Exile. He says, he will take you away. You and your posterity away with fish hooks through broken walls. You will be cast out, says the Lord. He's telling them much like a cow might have a ring in its nose and you put a rope on it and pull it to make it obey. Or much like you might string up a fish by putting a hook in it and pulling it with a string. That's how God's people will be let out. You who think you have security in things and riches and your bank accounts and all of the riches that you've stored up in your homes and your multiple homes. I will take every bit of your security away. The walls of your palaces will be broken down and your great security and your high walls around your city will be broken and they will pull you through it like cattle are led on a rope. And I will take you far away from this land that I promised for my people Because you are not living before me according to your covenant demands. Exile, says the Lord. You will live in another land. It will be a violent conquest. It will be full of military measures. There will be terrible destruction. And you will know that I am doing it when you are let out by your noses. Why is exile coming? We ask the question, who is he addressing? It's to God's people. This is to the church. What is he promising? He's promising exile and swearing an oath by his own holy character. But why is exile coming? I want to give you a few reasons why. The first is rebellion. Outright rebellion. God, we heard your stories. We were taught your laws. And we're not going to obey It sounds a little different today. Maybe you've heard it this way. I'm just going to live my life. And we're so afraid of 
of, of touching anything that might get close to sounding like we have an idea of what might be right for other people, that we now have a phrase in our culture, you do you. You live your life and I'll live mine. As if that's okay. And I realize that may be out in the culture, but I, I fear that perhaps it's also crept into the church. Under the guise of being non-judgmental. You do you. If that's what you believe about following God, decide for yourself. No one can tell you how it is that you should live before the Lord. And yet God's word is being subverted when we do that. Are we not, as God's people, to call one another to the holiness without which no one will see God? Are we not to commend brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers to walk with the Lord, to know Him, to serve Him in the beauty of holiness. We absolutely are. We have taken covenant vows before the Lord to one another to do our best for our spiritual condition. Do we live in rebellion, dear people of God? Why is exile coming? Rebellion, number one. Number two, sinful worship. Sinful worship. Their self. As they metaphorically walked in front of the mirror, they liked what they saw. They became the, the topic, their favorite topic of every conversation. God is here giving them up when He says, He calls them to come and to do these acts of worship. He's giving them up to their own idolatrous worship. You want to worship and love yourselves? Fine, do it. Go. And so He gives them five phrases. Come to Bethel, go to Gilgal, these places with rich spiritual significance in the history of God's people. In Bethel, Joshua was there, excuse me, Jacob was in the presence of the Lord, and he said, this is an awesome place indeed. This is the house of God. Bethel in Hebrew means house of God. It was here, he says, come and transgress. In Gilgal, this was the place where Joshua brought the people across the Jordan again to go into the land of Canaan. They were to go into the land of promise and that whole entire generation was circumcised and God reminded them, then, today, I have rolled back the reproach of Egypt and the reproach of your sins. That's what Gilgal means, to roll back. And so in these places of rich spiritual significance, in these places that were meant to remind them of God's presence, of His holiness and His goodness, the people are called by God to go and do what you want. Worship is about you anyway. You love yourself. There's mixture here. They've decided that worship is not to be done according to all the commands of God. Worship is a mixture. We'd like to do with it what we want. So the bull calves that we've read about in 1 Kings chapter 12, and the sexual degeneracy in Amos chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, where it says, A man and a father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. They were mixing the worship of the living God with these awful things. They were worshiping themselves. They were doing all of these things, if you can imagine it, along with thinking, we'll have a little bit of this, but also we want to throw in the law of Moses because we want to be sure that we're just covering all the bases. We'll just do everything. 
It was self-serving. They came and brought their morning sacrifices and their tithes every three days. Which far exceeded the law of Moses. They brought their tithes every three days. They're bringing them. And maybe you have a sense of this yourself. They were bringing these offerings to God to satisfy their own religious impulses. Instead of being genuine gifts to God. I'll go to church because I think it's what I'd like to do today. Rather than going because I should go and worship the living God because he's called me to it. The priests were accomplices in this. Those who were to be the ones who served before the Lord on behalf of the people. They were accomplices in this self-serving religion. They endorsed the benefits they would get from the overages. And they legitimized the false consciousness of the nation's faith. When they came to bring their offerings, the priests would always get a portion for themselves. If they came and brought food or a meat offering, they would get some of the food from it. If they came in and brought some sort of monetary offering, the priests were to be provided by it. So they didn't speak up. So you have the women doing what they're doing, the men doing what they're doing, and the priests right along with it. Let the good times roll. This is wonderful. They're self-centered and self-pleasing. They do thanksgiving offerings, announcing them and making them known. Let us serve God, they say. But leaven was prohibited on the altar with blood sacrifices, according to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11. It was allowed with thanksgiving offerings, according to Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 to 14. And I believe that he's mentioning this on purpose. Because it means that the kind of offering that they meant, that they were inclined to give to God, as they looked at the law of God, they said, well, we like these, we don't want these, we'll do the ones that do have leaven because it actually tastes better in our bread. And we're not going to do anything that the law would say we should do for sin offerings because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to be reminded of sinfulness. We don't want to hear about what it means to live before a holy God. This was self-worship. They were going to temple in order to worship themselves, not to worship God. They were going to feel better. He says, this you love in verse 5. This wasn't about God to begin with. Their supposed worship of him had no impact at all on their hearts or their conscience. No power to call them to account. No sounding forth a call to repentance. And I wonder if that's the kind of worship we come to bring to the living God. Why even bother at all? What sort of game are we playing? It's certainly not worship to the living God, according to his word. One commentator wrote that these celebration rituals that they commemorate in their own view, this is their warped way of thinking, that God's support of their regime and the status quo are a joy to participate in. We love doing this. The tradition reinforces their thoughts and their imagination in which everyone is assured we're all okay. As we do these things, as we walk through the motions, as we do the rituals, as we even bring more than what the law of God requires, we are satisfied that everybody is okay. And God must be fine with us because wouldn't he strike us down dead if he weren't? The contrast between God's high demands and holy law and their religious impulses here is stark. It's as black and white as it could be. His people are unholy. And he is. So I ask you. 
in closing. Is there any hope? It would be easy to say, man, I am so glad that I don't have those kind of problems in my house. I am so glad that we don't have those problems in our church. But if we are honest, this is our hearts. And the games that we play are at the foot of the cross of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you admit that before the Lord? Not to me, but to Him. Lord, I like the idea of church. I like the idea of playing. I like the idea of being morally superior to other people. I like looking down on others. And I like giving for the sake of my name, but not yours. By God's grace alone, we read these words. And we say in our own hearts, maybe you did as we read it this morning, I am no better than them. I am just the same. And maybe you would say with the Apostle Paul that he did in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I am reminded of it day after day after day. Lord, I am so sinful in your presence. Is there any hope? God's judgment and his discipline here is for his glory first, that his name would be upheld. He's taking the people out of the land so that his name would be glorified. That's number one. But it's also for our good. The book of Hebrews says that he disciplines every son he loves. Every child of his he disciplines. Are you walking through discipline yourself? Is the Lord convicting you right now of some sin in your life? Or are you going through a patch where the Lord is reminding you in a gentle, loving way, as a heavenly father is telling you, repent, repent, repent. Come back to me. Come and walk in my ways. Come and surrender. Is there any hope? There is a redeemer who will save his people from exile. The exile of sin and living apart from him. The exile of thinking that this world is all that there is. There is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who clothed himself in humanity, lived a perfectly sinless life. The Righteous One. And I close with the words of a hymn that your choir sings, that Keith Green wrote back in the 1900s. There is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till your work on earth is done. I pray that you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. But I pray too that the Lord gives you space in your heart as you come with Thanksgiving before your good Heavenly Father, the great Good Shepherd, that you would mourn over your sin that the Son of Jesus had to come to deliver you from it. Mourn in His presence that you might rejoice truly in eternal salvation, not simply for having money or a good meal or blessed time with family, Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the encouragement that we find in your word. Though there is much here that causes us to pause, and it is chilling to think of the awfulness of our sin before you. I pray, Lord, that as you are working in the hearts of your people, as you are convicting of sin and calling us to righteousness, as you promise to give us faith according to your grace, I pray, Lord, that your people would stay in that place, that they would do business with you as you do business with them. And may we rejoice that these are the ways that our loving Heavenly Father disciplines us as sons and daughters of His. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's respond to God's Word together. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 98. Now thank we all, our God.
Thank you, Kelly. You've got to be worn out. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being able to pause at this time to give thanks to you, to return back thanks for your many blessings upon us, material and spiritual, in family and in the many ways that you show us great love and faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that we may give our tithes and offerings to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to receive our tithes and offerings, that they might be used for the sake of your kingdom, that the name of Jesus would be spread and go forth, and that lost people who do not know you will be called out of the kingdom of darkness and into your kingdom of light as we walk in faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. of our Lord from the book of Numbers chapter 6 the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace amen